Welcome to Lead the Way, bringing you Zen practices and embodied leadership skills to help you lead with purpose, joy, and resilience. I'm your host and lead contributor, Dr. Bob Karen, and this season is all about how great leaders make a difference. We're bringing you stories of struggle, resilience, and transformation in the midst of the COVID year with practical insights to apply to your own life and leadership. Today, I have with me my co-lead contributor, Dr. Ginny Whitelaw, who is the CEO of the Institute for Zen Leadership and author of the recently published book, Resonate, Zen and the Way of Making a Difference. Ginny, thank you so much for joining me today. Great to join you, Bob. Well, I'm really excited to talk with you uh, as the inaugural podcast for the Institute for Zen Leadership and uh, bringing voices of our community to the public and and hopefully um, voices beyond our community to to make a difference and help people make a difference. Today is a topic that is near and dear to, I think, both of our hearts, which is sensing our way forward. You know, sensing our way forward is is kind of a, a strange uh, thing for most folks. And in 2020, as I look out into the business world, what I hear and see is is a, a culture of data-driven decisions. I'm interested to hear how sensing the way forward uh, sort of squares with <laughs> the data-driven world. And yet the data, uh, as scientists, we know, both you and I are emp- empirical scientists uh, by training. And, you know, sometimes the data doesn't exactly lead the way forward all the time. So how, um, how do those things square for you, this, this uh, sensing our way forward in, in 2020? Even sensing data or letting data guide our decisions in a way is a kind of sensing. We're listening to some element of life that can be quantified. And yet not all of life can be quantified, right? You know, there's a lot of things we can intuit or sense from other channels. So I would say it's not an either or, you know, do I follow data or do I just sense? It's how do we open our senses so that we can hear all of the data available, not just the quantitative stuff, but the zeitgeist, the feeling of the times, the vibe of a relationship, the sense of a team we're a part of. What does our organization need to move forward? What does our community need right now? The cries of the world. Yeah, I, that, those are, and those are big questions. You know, one of the things that, that, uh, that strikes me as, as difficult to do is sometimes interpreting the kind of information that you get from, you know, the, that more, uh, that sensing or that, that way forward where it's not right in front of your face, but you kind of have to interpret the feeling or the zeitgeist, as you said, um, the other sources of information. How do people go about doing that? You know, how do you go about uh, starting to interpret the information that you get from, um, you know, something that's not quite so obvious and right in front of your face? You know, I, I really feel there's a depth in your question, Bob, that that I hope listeners can feel into because th- my answer, I don't, I don't want it to be confusing, but the real way is we have to be, become one in our mind and body. The mind-body system has to be fully integrated so that insight can be translated into thought processes, can be translated into speech processes, can be translated into the work of our hands, can be translated into our walk and talk as a leader. And if we are divided where our walk doesn't match our talk or 
we've got an in insight, but we have no idea how to translate it, or we're seeing data, but we have no idea what it means. It tells me that you know we can get stuck, we can get lost in sort of habitual thought loops that are not necessarily productive. So this is where I find the depth of something like Zen training so useful of how we can bring the head, the heart, the hara, the hara meaning the lower abdomen and the deep, the deep breathing that that hara can regulate. How do we bring that whole system together, train the whole mind-body system so that as insight arises, it can inform our various faculties for operating in the world. That's a beautiful image. You know, as, as when when you talk about head, heart, and hara, the 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 image that came up to to, to my mind was was sort of like the three branches of government and the, the checks and balances between them. You know, we're we're so used to uh, you know sort of sort of letting the head govern the whole system, <laughs> and the head can lead us in a lot of different directions. Uh, it, it, you know, rationalization can kind of lead us down a lot of different paths. Um, but the heart and the hara maybe check and balance that system when it's operating as one whole to, uh, to be informative. Exactly right. Exactly right. I, I used to be guided in my early training in Zen by a teacher who told me, and he, he, would, he, would, he would pat his lower end of his heart out when he'd say this. He would think with this mind, not with pointing to his head, the head mind. You know, he would say, think with this mind. And I thought he was just being metaphorical. But I've come to appreciate that it's really that those gut level feelings where we are in touch with a connected aspect of ourselves. what it means to be, in a sense, physically connected to, to the world, to all of humanity, to the earth, to, uh, I mean, it's not only our umbilical connection, but it's a part of us, a center of consciousness that developed before our separate ego. So there's something about being able to drop into that center that senses something beyond the self and the skin that we might normally think of ourselves as. And does it provide a check and balance on habitual thought loops of the head? Absolutely. In fact, it can cut through discursive thinking altogether. Uh, I agree. And, and, you know, it's taken, it's taken uh, Zen and, and martial arts training for me to get connected to, to that, uh, you know, that sort of, uh, as, as some authors have called it, the lizard brain or, you know, the, the sort of primitive brain in the gut and, and to start to interpret those signals. You know, as a society, we've, we've gone away from, you know, those, um, you know, those, those more uh, sort of base level of, of, of information, and we value so much the data, the rationalization, the, the head. How do we kind of get back there? How do we, you know, as a listener uh, uh, to this podcast, how, how would you say um, someone could start getting back in touch with uh, that intuitive gut response? You know, just I'd say first, I wanted to say just let out a long, slow exhale and notice how deeply in your body you could actually feel movement. That will tell you right now how in touch you are with the lower body because some, sometimes our breath is just moving the upper body. So you, one of the things that you might just play with or someone listening might play with is letting out a deep sigh of relief. And one of the things we train in, in in our style of Zen a great deal is lengthening the exhale and getting curious about what holds it up, what what's, what's resisting to the lengthening of this exhale, what's feeling graspy or tight, and how to release that and let it deepen. Shaking out tension in the body and letting it drop into the center. 
there's a lot of exercises that we know also you and I, Bob, from martial arts and Aikido that, that really help find this center because it's the center of power in martial arts. So pivoting exercises, when you're pivoting your hips or you're moving and stepping, you're moving around this center, this lower hara center and letting it be the lead of your motion can be a way to start to develop sensitivity into that area. Even the outfits that we wear in meditation and in martial arts with, that often have what we call a hara belt or a belt that's around this area to bring sensitivity to it. Or if we wear a hakama in Aikido, those, that kind of overskirt that you see uh, the black belts usually wear, it has all these ties down in the lower abdomen. That is no accident. It's to bring focus to this area so that it becomes the thing that moves and carries a an integrated system along with it. So those are ways to start building initially a sensitivity to the hara. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing that we can do this both in stillness uh, through through breathing and also in motion, which is kind of useful um, because you know there's some folks out there that sitting in stillness for a long time might not be you know something that's easy for them, and so how can they? Um, how can they use movement? You, you just talked about tapping the lower abdomen. One of your teachers did that to sort of bring some level of awareness. And I've heard you talk about skiing and dropping into your knees or even golfing and being aware of your center. Um, so it sounds, like you, it sounds like we can get there in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. You know, if you think about a golf swing emanating from the lower body versus up in the shoulders, or if you think about, if you watch great athletes, when they move in an integrated way, that the lower body is what's powering the movement. You know, just watch that and feel into, for your own favorite sport or avocation or activity, what would that integration feel like in you? It, you know, it, even walking from here to there, how can you walk hara first so that this center almost feels like it's pulled forward rather than walking head first, you know, and being headstrong and that tends to make us hunch forward. Right, right. Um, you know, I, I, and for me, uh, I, I started training in Aikido and Zen at the same time, uh, but in, in all uh, honesty, my, my, my love and affection started in Aikido and Zen meditation was kind of like the drag along practice that I had to do as a result of my teacher's, you know, uh, sort of scornful mandate. Um, <laughs> it, it, the, what, I, what I came to appreciate though over time was that in the sitting still, I was able to tap into that center in a more powerful and direct way than I was ever able to do in motion. Um, and, and, you know, while maybe some listener out there is going, yes, I can drop into my center while I'm running and I don't have to sit still and breathe for a while. At the end of the day, if we're talking about sensing our way forward, it's really hard to do that unless you spend some time sitting still. Well, it's, it's, it's wise. I, I agree with you. The sitting still is when our senses really can open up because our motion has shut down. And the senses get the whole get the whole set of processes that we have going on in our body, so we can hear better. We can feel the air currents on our skin better. We become more attuned to how breath is moving in the body, and we can bring it deeper and lower in the body when we're, we're sitting still. It it also helps get tension out of the body that otherwise dulls our sensitivity. It's you know the ability for us to sense our way forward 
comes by being, I'll call it easily vibratable strings. We want things to register with us. And if we're too tight, if we're tight as a drum, you know, we become we become responsive only to a hit. You know, we, 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 we aren't picking up the subtle cues versus when we're relaxed and open, head, heart, and hara, we can pick up the more subtle cues, whether it's the feeling again of a conversation or, you know, a heartfelt emotion or a, a whiff of a thought or a sense of connection. We pick them up. They become energy we can work with. You know, one of the things that, that I thought of as you're saying that is, you know, as you become more attuned to these signals that are coming through us, uh, right? You drop into your, your, your breathing and you connect that, that lower abdomen with your, your feeling of, of the rhythm in your heart and, and, and the thoughts in your head start to slow down. You know, things start to come up for you. At least that's my experience. And sometimes it's things that you wouldn't have noticed before. And, and one of those things is fear. Um, it, at the Institute for Zen Leadership, we talk about creating uh, selfless, fearless leaders. And, um, and, and fear is, is one of the things that we work with a lot at the Institute. Um, and, and it's something that, boy, in, in the COVID year, uh, boy, fear is, is on the table. It, it's everywhere. Uh, unemployment, uh, uncertainty about the future of, of business, uh, of, of even the sort of fabric of our society, getting to see our family over the holidays, I mean, fear is kind of all over the place. So, so as you drop into that center and the fear is what gets noticed, like where do we go with that? How do we, how do we deal with that? Well, when we are able to drop into our center, we are much better resource to grapple with fear. Uh, it's when we rise into our head and try to fix and figure that we can run into, at least I run into, a lot of neurotic loops and, and, and habits from youth, if you will, that aren't necessarily helpful in working with fear. If we can just let it be and, and in a sense, breathe it straight down, what, you know, in some ways, wanting to numb ourselves to these negative emotions like fear, you know, diff difficult thoughts and, and feelings is one of the reasons we keep ourselves in a cycle of busy because it's, you know, it's hard to face some of that stuff. Then it delivered, you know, and, and then it's here in presence. So what do I do with this? Crucial Point, and we really focus on this in Zen leadership a good deal that we call acceptance that is between coping with, fighting with, or denying, you know, any of those negative coping states and being able to work with something and, and get on with it, co-create even with, with forces at work. So if I have a fear operating in me, a fear that I'm not safe because my job future isn't there or I'm not sure how I'm going to provide for my family, or I'm, you know, my, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, I can help this person who is not healthy. If I'm operating out of those fears, if my instinct, or not instinct, but my first reaction is I want to push those away, I want to change the subject. Well, once we quit doing that and we say, rather, I'm going to bring them close, because to push them away is a coping state. It's some way to, again, push them away so we don't have to deal with them. If we do just the opposite, bring them so close, I make it my own. And I can say, whoa, 
this fear is deep and old in me. You know, and in fact, I've had remnants, I've had verses of this fear my whole life. I never feel like I'm good enough, or I never have felt like I was safe enough, or whatever. Now I can accept, not that I like this fear, but that it's part of me. It's part of how this thing works. This mind-body system is working. How can I see through it and still continue to claim my power and do what I really want to do in this situation? Do what's inspiring me. Do what's helpful. So the fear can be present, but not gripping. It can be present. I can acknowledge it, even accept it, and still claim my power to act. That's the freedom we really invite people into and being able to face into their fears. When we say fearless, we don't mean that you're forever going to live a life where fear never arises. We mean you can see through it so that it has less of a grip on us. That, that's, that's beautiful. Um, and the, and the, the phrase, you know, it doesn't get all of us is, is one that um, I've certainly used and has been useful in my life in, in so many ways and is certainly useful in the COVID year. Um, and, and the acknowledgement, as you said, the acceptance that this is, this discomfort is here right now and it's, and to try to escape from it, um, is actually going to lead us in the wrong direction. Uh, but to, to sort of embrace it and, and sit with it, um, seems to be the practice of, of, of sort of meditation applied, um. Yeah, you know, those those things that cause us fear are actually great teachers. They are great teachers if we can use them as such. People sometimes think, well, how do I work out all my triggers? Well, they kind of arrive to us, you know, they show up. And when they show up, that's the point of practice. That's the point where we can say, whoa, this is deep and old. How can I breathe this down? How can I how can I live with this? whoa, I don't want this one to stop me. How do I take this in? Oof. And yet what we find is that limitless possibility can still come through a limited self. That's the miracle. <laughs> so <laughs> That is the miracle. Uh, limited possibility, unlimited possibility can come through a limited self. Um, so, so it sounds like it sounds like part of this practice is as you acknowledge, accept that fear, and you know recognize its sort of habitual origins and, and things of that nature. There's there's sort of a a, a need to, um, or or maybe it's a, maybe it's a natural thing where that fear gets sort of placed at a little bit of a distance, or or gets gets you know a sort of uh, let's say lesser seat on, at the at the table. So that you can sense your way forward in the midst of, you know, chaos and disruption. Is that is that a, a, a fair description? Yeah, I like the maybe lesser seat at the table, not not pushed away though so much. Is again, we're not mm. trying to shove it under the carpet because then we're just going to keep tripping over it. Mm. It's more of, yeah, it's operating, and what can I still do? You know, it's 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 there, and it doesn't define me. So it's it's. In that sense, a lesser seat at the table. I like how you I like how you put it that way. It still can function. And yet here here's the fact that fear didn't come from nowhere. It came about as a result of a very specific set of causes and conditions. And so it's a natural product of life, if you will. And there's no one to blame, and there's nothing to to. Uh, 
to uh, dismiss. It's more just seeing it evenly that, oh, that just, it, it had its place. What fear will generally do, though, is it has us conflate the present with the past, where something in the present is triggering us because of a way a past condition habituated us, or a habit we developed from the past. So part of what that lesser seat at the table that you describe is about is discerning that I'm still not a little kid thinking she's not good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, a, I'm an adult now. I have a different set of capabilities. I'm not, I don't have to tiptoe around conflict or I don't have to be afraid my family's going to fall apart. You know, it's, it's partly discerning through adult eyes what the child could not discern. And it, so it teases apart the present from the past. And yet it acknowledges both. You know, it, it, it all fits in, you know, the embrace of the whole picture. That's beautiful. I, you know, the, the, other, the other aspect of fear that I think is, is not always recognized is that it, just, it doesn't just exist in the head. Um, no. and, and when we're, when we're you know, connecting to that, that uh, you know, hara and that heart, we notice fear is showing up in the body. Um, and sometimes it's, I don't know, in my experience, it's like easier to work with it in the body than it is in, in, in the head. I know that that's a, even, even that comment is sort of dualistic, but it's sort of a way in. Is that your experience as well? It is a way in, and recognizing it in the body can also clue us in how deep and old this stuff is, because it can even be intergenerational trauma. You know, so when we find it in the body, whoa, there is there's something we can focus on. We can, in a sense, go there with our breath. We will generally feel it as some kind of set of sensations. Something got tight or something got uneasy or nervous or name your own experience of it. We can bring our breath there, and the breath is even the breath is a way of saying we bring the energy of consciousness there, and that energy of consciousness is being able to direct more energy flow, more circulation, more potential to return some flow and harmony to that area, rather than the the somewhat balled up condition that the fear is putting it in. So if we can see what can release today, sometimes it will fall away altogether. Sometimes today is not the day it will fall away. It's just going to still keep, you know, tremoring or whatever, or shaking or tight. But now we see it, and now we know we're a place we can work. The other aspect, uh, which is closely related to fear, that we we try to uh, keep a, as a let's say a, a lesser seat at the table. We'll we'll continue with that metaphor. Is this this self? Um, and the fear and the self kind of, uh, you know, seem to be two sides of one coin sometimes, or at least they're, they're, they're holding hands pretty tightly. <laughs> the, um, what does it mean, what does it mean to, to be selfless, and how, how does sort of getting our self out of the way help us sense our way forward? Yeah, self is a funny word there, isn't it? Because we can mean a lot of different things. When when you talked about the lesser seat at the table of, of self, I it made my mind think of the word ego. You know, my ego self, my that self, that usual suspect self, that self with its skin, and the ego construct is certainly a part of ourself. There is no question about it. And yet, for a lot of us, we think it's our whole self. We think it kind of stole our identity, and that's the mistake. To think that we are our ego, to make that equation is a huge mistake because the the ego is a part of our, I'll say it's the integrator of our experience. So it plays a huge role. And yet 
its job is to more or less keep us alive. You know, it's very survival based and, and it wants to use the resources of life to keep us alive. And then you can climb up Maslow's hierarchy and meet those other needs as well. Okay, keep us safe, get find us a place of belonging and love, have us exert personal power and have self-esteem and now we'll self-actualize. You know, you can climb up the whole hierarchy, but the ego is trying to get our needs met. And it will look out at the world and try to, the way it senses its way forward is what's in it for me, you know? Yeah. So what's in it for me? The truth is that, it is a that the ego is in a sense a tiny part of who we are and part of what zen training opens us up into is is who are you even as the ego dissolves even as a sense of boundaryless uh, boundary dissolves and you feel a boundarylessness who are you then who are you who are you when you become the whole picture who are you you know when as amori sogan one of our great teachers teachers put it when the true human body is the entire universe that becomes a direct experience in zen training and as we have this experience then we can start to see how the ego construct is a part of a much bigger picture how in effect we are intrinsically connected interpenetrating waves without obstruction was a way Tanoi Roshi used to describe it, interpenetration without obstruction. So we we belong to each other. I mean, this is suddenly, as I was writing about resonance over the last, it's so clear to me from a resonance point of view, if you are sensing something, that wave is vibrating in you. In other words, there is a connection. There is a interpenetrating wave without obstruction that is vibrating in us. And as we affect other humans, we are vibrating in them. As we build relationships, we're making maps of other people and ourselves. What, what we start to feel into is a different sense of self that does not have such a distinct boundary as the ego would like to define. So I don't use the word selfless too much as I describe this capacity so much as be your whole self you know, expanding the self, because what is true is the other is a part of me and I am a part of it. That, that is the truth. It's the illusion of separateness that makes us think about the self in our skin first and maybe never get to what's second. When we relax that and experience our connectedness with all things, then the way we act is naturally in service of this whole picture. And that's what it feels like to get out of our own way. It means getting the ego out of its insatiable need to serve itself. I say insatiable, it can be sated. It can be sated. And how is it sated when it feels wholly connected? Yeah, that, uh, the, 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 one of the phrases you just said that stuck with me was this idea that, that um, you know, we act in service of the whole picture when we get ourselves out of the way. And, um, and, and, and it, you know, as a, as a leader sensing your way forward, um, if, if that sensing starts with the ego or that identity and what you're trying to protect, it's almost like it's something that's blocking what's trying to come through or what wants to happen. Exactly right. I mean, even the word protect, when you feel into protect in your body, if you just say to yourself, protect, you could feel the tightness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you could feel something hardens. Up. you know it's like a, a shell forms when there's something to protect you know? right 
right? And and so you know, I, I, if I'm in if I'm in a if I'm in a situation this year where you know I'm the leader of a group or uh, you know I'm the leader of a business unit or something like that, and um, you know, and and what I'm looking at is uncertainty, right? I'm I'm, I'm looking at uncertainty. You know, we we used to talk about five year business cycles or you know what's going to happen uh, three years out and. And most folks are looking at the next quarter going, wow, if I could predict what's going to happen in three months, I, I'd be, you know, the most valuable member of my team. <laughs> <laughs> and so, right. so, you know, sensing our way forward, I think the, the last thing to just integrate here is how do you do that in the midst of radical uncertainty, uh, radical uncertainty? And it, and, it, and it feels like what we've been talking about is leading us in that direction. Well, it, it, I'm going to come back to resonance then, because what what I love about working with the, working with resonance is the principle of resonance is when 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 energy matches, it adds up. Resonance reveals itself through a sense of matching, and that matching can be as simple and physical as when two people are in the same wavelength, they get a, they can get into a great relationship, or it can be when a leader's vision of the future is exactly what's ready to happen. There's an energy behind it. Forces, in a sense, it almost seems like these forces start conspiring to bring it about, but there's an energy behind it. Resonance is revealed in the buildup of energy. So in uncertain times, it's a more reliable way to sense our way forward, look for the buildup of energy than it is to try to plan based on the past. So planning can get out of date really fast. So when you're in the really turbulent waters, it, the sensing is even more important. You wanna listen for what's ready to happen. What are, the, what are the cries out there? What are the needs out there? How can I meet them? When I try to meet them this way, what happens? Did it work? Didn't it work? Here, I can use data to guide my decisions. I can, I can in, in the, world of lean startup we talk about launching or building something simple like a minimum viable product see what happens get some information back and then adjust so even that it, to in this kind of environment the winner becomes the fastest learner the, the the most agile leader who can take in the information and adjust and then relaunch what meets the needs that that feeling is how to go through uncertain times. Don't look for certain plans. Don't look for what you thought on Tuesday to apply on Friday. Just keep listening to where how the energy is building and shifting and how you can add your own value to it. Yeah, those are those are really unique questions. I mean, I think that uh, your 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 book resonate uh, and and this this entire perspective is is just um, so unique. It, there, there's a flip that's happening here, you know, a flip from sort of our traditional, you know, means of analyzing and planning of data-driven decisions and, and, and things of that nature to uh, a more intuitive way of being, a more, you know, at ease and entering into a situation um, with our breath and with our senses and, and you know, in, in your book, uh, in your last book, The Zen Leader, which went over a number of different flips, um, you know, of, of sort of maybe traditional or habitual ways to being to more productive and, and more intuitive ways of being, it, it, it's bringing me back to that, that book and those flips, right? Flipping from 
um, making something happen to sensing what wants to happen, uh, those kinds go. of things. There you go. You know, it's, it, and I think the faster the times move or the more uncertain they become, the more the, those flips are needed because the old ways, the limits of the old ways become even clearer, even faster. <laughs> so good to turn it around. Good to turn it around. And, and boy, we could use a turnaround. <laughs> and, there you go. There you go. <laughs> as we approach 2021 uh, and, uh, and need to flip the energy in some respects. Well, this has been incredibly useful. And, you know, um, one of the questions I might have is if I'm uh, listening to this podcast while I'm multitasking, um, uh, how do I go from, from this conversation to something that's a little bit more deep and, and personal for me? Thank you. I, what I'd say is Resonate the Course is coming up starting February 22nd. That would be a great opportunity where we look at the concepts from Resonate the Book and take them into a six-week online course. So Resonate the Course uh, would be a, a great one. And, and uh, the way people can learn about that is at the website ResonateTheBook.com. And on ResonateTheBook.com, you can also get the book, but also companion videos that go with the book. And if you scroll down the page a little bit, you'll see how Resonate the Course is also talked about. So if you want to go deeper, the path is clear. Wonderful. Thank you, Ginny. And thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. What an insightful conversation. And I know that I benefited from it. And uh, more to come on the, uh, the Lead the Way podcast. Wonderful. I'm so glad you're doing this, Bob. Go, go, go. All right. <laughs>